Hey, welcome to the Wicked Ones podcast. This is Tara. And this is Chen. What's going on this week besides being all messed up? Oh my God, I got a broken neck. It's not really broken, but I can't move. Um, don't ask me to look up or, or to the left. <laughs> don't <laughs> make me laugh. Don't make me laugh or make any sudden movements and I'll be okay. Other than that, I'm doing good. How about you? Yeah, no, not, not too bad. I can't complain. This week's been kind of boring. Just lots of uh, cleaning, laundry. I did get to customize my FabFit fun box. Oh, that's again. Exciting. This isn't an advertisement. We just I just ordered it. Yeah, they were <laughs> so, not sponsored. Yeah, so that was fun. I ordered the uh, magnetic lashes, like the ones that we were talking about, like might be really bad for us. But I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> it's like the magnetic eyeliner, and then they're supposed to magnetize to it all day and like really hardcore. What did I tell? Julia I saw the other day to be beautiful is painful. I can't remember. One of them was complaining about something. Seriously. And I'm like, well, do you want to be beautiful? Or do you have to be in pain. I can't remember. It was like uh, they got mascara in their eye or something. I don't oh, know. God. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, or I do. It was their boots or something. I, I think it's terrible. High heels, makeup, yeah. your hair. Like, oh, I right. just. Um, what else? Let's see. We've got the. Uh, you said we should start reviewing our snacks. So, <laughs> yes, yes. Because I, I comment as I'm eating them and snacking on them to you. So I figured the whole world should hear. <laughs> well, we for the first time tonight, we tried the Trader Joe's dark chocolate sea salts. With uh, uh, road caramel. salt. Yeah. It's like, as Tara would describe it. <laughs> it's huge. It's like huge chunks of salt. Like the stuff you'd put on your driveway. Yeah. That, that was what was on it. Did you like it? What would you I give it? I actually did like, like it. Two out of five? Five yeah, out of five? Yeah, like would a you two give and it? a half, probably, out of five. I really like the ones from uh, Sam's. No, yeah, Sam's or Costco, oh, that like, big container. Those are the best. Yeah, the big yeah. container. And uh, I brought to the table tonight a mocktail. It's a uh, Mingle, I think was the brand. Cranberry Cosmo. Yeah, decent. And I thought it's not really sweet, which mm-hmm. I enjoy. I added uh, some Topo Chico to mine, and you added what? I haven't added any limoncello yet, but of a LaCroix, but that's probably, that's what I got up here to add to it later, but super cute. Put some raspberries and blueberries in it, and I mean, it looks like a regular drink. I think I might, I think we're on to something. Half the yeah. time, I don't really feel like drinking. Yeah. Right. Just doing well, a mocktail would be doing great. my November, no November, no booze November, I can't remember what it's called, with Kelly. I think they have one of those for every month. I they? think they probably do. Well, this one is supposed to be, you know, we always talk about this, right? Halloween is like just like the downward spiral mm-hmm. into like into the holidays, fat pants and yep. cookies and booze. You and... mean like that <laughs> that day that you flip the switch and you just go, ah, shit, I give up. And then you just. Well, because usually you're like, you're constantly entertaining everywhere yeah. you go. There's yeah. booze and food and treats. And then you have so many other things on your list you're usually not like exercising or meditating or Mm -hmm. doing any of the things so supposed to keep me on task so we're supposed to be dry to the end of the year so you guys are gonna need a lot of mocktail reviews hey you know what i think i think it's a good thing yeah we should all be drinking more mocktails even the guys i I don't know if they would agree but maybe we could try to get them we could try i think i just think it's i'm learning that i really just like a something festive Something different, right? Something different than what you drink all day long. No, you know, you don't want a water. You don't want a LaCroix. You don't want, so you just reach for the wine or the beer or whatever, you know, whatever is different in the house when everybody comes over. I love to find a non-alcoholic wine that is good. I feel like the ones that I've tried usually taste like juice. But, like, I enjoy a glass of wine, like, around the fire outside. Like, it, I enjoy the taste. I I don't know that I'll replace my wine. But these mocktails are fantastic for, like, the before, you know, during dinner and, like, after dinner drink. I could get used to that. So. Yeah. If you guys have any mocktail recommendations, let us know because we'll be coming at you. <laughs> well, yeah, we're looking for them for sure. So, all right. So we get to continue hometowns. And um, Jen is bringing us her hometown story today. Yeah. So mine's not necessarily from my hometown but it's very close to my hometown and a portion of the story happens literally across the street from one of the houses I lived in it was super close so I feel like that qualifies Mm -hmm. today I'm going to tell you about the Browns chicken massacre yeah so and I I chose this one because obviously when it happened I only knew it's in bits I didn't know all the details I found out a lot I didn't 
Yeah, well, when you told me that's what you were doing, I I know of it, and mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell you the, the details. details. Yeah. It happened in Palatine, so it's a northwest suburb of Chicago, and I would say that's about a half hour from here. Yeah, yeah, real close. Yeah, like 20 miles. Um, it happened on January 8th of 1993, and it went unsolved for almost a decade you hate that you hate to see that and they said they had um in like the first week they had like 2300 tips wow that's that's just a lot to sort through yeah I... I, apparently a lot of them obviously were not very helpful mm-hmm. but they tried but think so, of all the misdirection and all the time that you have to take you have to follow up on every single one i know there's there's we're gonna talk a little bit about how the police handled this it was it's kind of disappointing mm. and i hate to hear that too yeah it was it's very it's very disappointing actually um so do you remember did you eat brown's chicken when you were younger we didn't have one in indiana really yeah. they're in indiana they're well like, we didn't have one they're like me. primarily in indiana and um we had kentucky fried chicken we did not have any Popeyes. no brown's chicken uh yeah, if you wanted chicken, it was KFC. Okay, so we had Brown's chicken and we had KFC, but Brown's chicken was huge. And um, I actually found a commercial that Steve Carell did for Brown's chicken what? talking about how the batter is cholesterol free. What? <laughs> I'll show it to you after this. I know that's totally a side note, but um, I thought that was crazy. That like, is that's crazy. how big Brown's chicken was in the Midwest, obviously. Steve Carell, Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it never really got any bigger than, like, Illinois and Indiana. Uh, is that a joke, though? What? That has to be, like, a like no. an SNL skit or what? No, cholesterol-free for real? They, I don't, I mean, I don't know. They <laughs> use some, like, cholesterol-free oil and cholesterol-free oh. batter. You have mm-hmm. to hear the commercial. It's funny. So it's, like, not only something, it's fit. I don't know. It's, it was great. <laughs> okay. I was laughing all by myself in the you watching, when I was watching here. it. For sure. So this specific Brown's Chicken, it opened in May of 1992, and it was owned by Richard and Lynn Eldenfeld. Um, And they did not start out believing that they were going to be a Brown's Chicken restaurant owner. Okay. He was actually in corporate for a while. He had lost his job. They kind of had done that thing. He had been unemployed for two years, and they were really trying to... Find a way to not kind of be a slave of the man, I guess you could say. Okay. They were willing to, like, put the work in now so they didn't have to do it later. Their kids were a little bit older. They got all the money together. It was everything they had. It was their retirement, their savings. They took $300,000, and they purchased, and they bought into the franchise of Brown's Chicken. Okay. And I guess at this time, it was really, really popular for these former corporate execs, like a quarter of franchise purchases at that time was to former corporate executives. Oh, okay. We're kind of leaving that and going into this. I thought that was interesting. That's really interesting because I was thinking to myself too, like, you know, being an entrepreneur, when did all of that really start? You know I mean? I feel like that's just kind of been recent. Mm -hmm. Not recent as in like the last year, but like the last decade. I would say that in the past, I felt like it was kind of like familial right you did it because your family did it but i feel like a lot of people are branching out more now oh yeah for sure now but like back then i feel like you're right that's something that you didn't hear of very often people just going all in on something like this that they've never done in their lives well and they knew that they were gonna have to be there all the time right so it says that one of them was there all at like 16 hours a day if not both of them wow but at this point they were okay with it because their girls were older and they knew like their goal was to build good staff yeah so they put they, in the work now and then they're going to yeah. enjoy it later. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, there wasn't a later. Uh, so this massacre, it had a total of seven victims. So it was the two owners, Richard and Lynn, and then five employees. The motive was believed to be robbery. They stole in between $1,200 and $1,800 in cash, mm. which, I mean... That was in 1993. Today, they would be like $2,400, $3,000. That's not, not... Not much anyway. No, that's not. I'm going to talk a little bit about the victims because there was more information on these victims than what I normally find. And, okay. Yeah. Um, 
they did. I really enjoyed doing the research on this one. <laughs> this is a total tangent because it was like our home, my home newspapers. It was the Daily Herald. Yeah. It was the Chicago Trib, like back when we actually got newspapers and yeah. read it. Yeah. So that was kind of exciting. And they did some really good write-ups in the paper on on the victims. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. You know, but I, I do miss that. I really miss the days when I used to actually read the paper. the paper. It was amazing. Yeah. I yeah. miss it too. Uh, so the first two victims were the owners, Richard and Lynn Allenfeld, and they were 49 and 48. They were the owners and they had three daughters. Their daughters were older, um, high school and college. Okay. There was Guadalupe Maldonado. He was married with three small sons. He was 47 years old and he had only been with Brown's Chicken for a few weeks. Okay. He actually uh, came from Mexico. I don't believe he was here legally. Okay. And that comes in the story a little bit later. But he used to bring his family uh, to the U.S. every couple times a year. I guess this had been like the third time they'd been here where he would work really, really hard and make money and then go back to Mexico with his family. But he actually used to work at the Yield Tavern, I guess, in Mount Prospect when he came. But they didn't have an opening for him at the time. So he ended up. At Brown's Chicken for the time being. Gotcha. Like a temporary... Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, a lot of people still do that. Mm-hmm. They do. Uh, next is Michael Castro. He was a 16-year-old Palatine, a high school student. He worked at Brown's Chicken part-time. Um, he was going to... He planned on being a future Marine. Mm-hmm. He was close with another uh, employee, Rico Solis, and... Uh, Michael actually got Rico the job at Brown's Chicken. Rico was a Palestine student with Michael. He was born in the Philippines, and he kind of had a rough background. So his father was murdered in the Philippines when he was 12. His mom then remarried the year after and moved to the U.S. in 1987. So from the time of 1987 to 1992, he stayed in the Philippines with his grandmother while his mom came to the U.S. to try to prepare and make a life oh, for, wow. okay. for him and his sister. Wow. So he actually just got to the U.S. Oh. in May of 1992. Oh, man. I know. And he was very much that america is the land of hopes and dreams and he was waiting to turn 18 to enlist into the army he was really really hard worker he actually wasn't supposed to be working that night he went in to pick up his paycheck and another girl was work was going to be working and she had worked like every friday night for a really long time michael was working so they had convinced him to stay and like work with him so she could have the night off And he was, he worked in the back. He was a cook, but. I mean, not that you want anybody to be there. You know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, no, just, but he took the shift so she could go out and hang and out. Then, and he could work with his friend. And yeah. the next day he was supposed to be having a meeting with Lynn about moving up to like being a cashier. Because everyone knew how much he hated being around the grease prior. I guess oh. he was just, he couldn't stand it. He's like, no matter how much I wash my hands and wash my hair, like I feel like I smell like grease. It was just oh. kind of like a running joke. I would hate that too. Yeah, so he was going to be moving up. I remember when I worked at Dairy Queen, I was the only one that cleaned that grease trap. I was going to say you were the only one who decorated cakes, but that's another story. (laughs) I did a great job decorating the cakes. We will tell that story another time. (laughs) But, yeah, nobody wanted to clean it. I mean, it's it's obviously disgusting, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see you getting in there. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, There was Thomas Menace, and he was 32. And his family described him as just a real simple guy. He loved the outdoors, so he would do a lot of, like, hiking. He was a hunter, They he said, but his family said he never came home with anything. So they think he just oh. enjoyed... <laughs> Being in the outdoors. Yeah, just like, kinda, the idea yeah. of it, and, you know, well, but not actually... with fishing, I think that's that's half the love of fishing, just going just out. You just kind of throw back what nature. you catch, but just yeah. kind of hang out, yeah. Um, he loved, like I said, the outdoors, bowling, darts, like just an all around cool guy. Then there was Marcus Nelson and he was 31. He was a Navy veteran. 
he was a cook when he was in the Navy. So when he retired, I guess it was kind of like a smooth transition to go into something like this. He had only been employed with them for two months, but they saw his potential immediately. So he was actually scheduled to go to a management training seminar on Saturday, the following day after the shooting. So they really, they thought they had a, a good group. They were investing their time and their money. They wanted to make sure they were sticking around. Uh, another thing about Marcus is that he was divorced with a seven-year-old daughter. And one of the things that they talked about is how he used to like overpay his child support, which I've never heard of before. Oh, just wow. because he always wanted to make sure that she had everything. So he would just give like all of his money. That's amazing. And I know, isn't that sweet? It really is. You you never hear that. No, when I read right. that, I was like, oh, you never hear something no. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, the owners had three daughters. I read that two of them were supposed to be scheduled that evening, but they weren't present. I believe they got off earlier. I think they got off at four, something like that. Okay. I They weren't there at the time. So. You know, it's just hard, too, I think, for the people, when, as I was listening to you talk about this person wasn't supposed to be here, but, the, you know, he took the shift, or, and this guy, you know, talked his friend into, and then the girl, you know, had off for a party. And you think about this, and you think about the guilt that the people who weren't there, right? The, so, the, the, I didn't put that in my story, but, yeah, the girl who um, wasn't there, who Rico worked for, yeah. actually, like, had nightmares, for a very long time you about working and everyone being shot. And like when she got shot, she would wake up. Like she had these like oh. terrible, terrible survivor guilt. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you can ever imagine what you feel or how you feel until you're in the position like that, but just, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I don't, All of it. I don't know which is, terrible. which is worse. Or that feeling of what if I would have been there, would I have been able to do something different mm-hmm. or help, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's a Friday night. It's, you know, a fast food restaurant or a restaurant. They close at nine, but you know how that goes. There's all these duties you oh, do yeah. at the end of the night, right? You got to mop the floor and fill the napkins and clean condiments, the grease trap. clean the grease trap, <laughs> all these things. So they're doing all the things that they, that they're supposed to do. And usually it takes about an hour. And now these victims, their people loved them and they knew exactly what was going on. It kind of reminds me of the way we would be. We're like, I'm like, it's... 9.57, why hasn't Tara texted me that she was home, you know? Yeah. So Michael's mom was wake, waiting up for him, and it was around, it was 11, and he usually gets home around 10, so Michael's mom goes and wakes up his dad, Castro, and it's like, Michael's not home, what do you think, da-da-da. He's like, well, maybe he had car trouble. So mm-hmm. he gets in the car and he drives like the same route to Brown's Chicken that Michael would drive home. Right. Well, back then we didn't have the There's cell no phones. cell phones. There's and... nothing. Yeah. No. So make sure. So he's like, maybe he's on the side of the road. Something happened. He had like this white truck with a, they described it because it was obviously all the cars were in the parking lot and he wanted to be a Marine. So he had like a Marine bumper sticker in, mm. the, in the back window. Okay. And th- so he didn't see Michael broken down anywhere. He got to the parking lot and everybody's cars were still in the parking lot. But the lights were off mm. in the restaurant. And that's weird. So he gets out and he's looking in the windows, but he can't see anything. He's banging on the doors. No one answers. He's stumped. He has no idea. So he goes home. He gets his wife and they go and they check out like a couple other like maybe fast food places that he's been known to like stop and get food, stop by a friend's mm-hmm. house. They can't find him. Meanwhile, Rico's mom is calling his friend saying that Rico hasn't made it home yet. And this is unlike him. He doesn't ever do that. If he does go anywhere, he always comes home first. You know, have they seen Michael? It's just not a, I can't even imagine. Could you imagine like Ava and Stella being together and you calling me and being like, I can't find Ava and me being like Stella? I just. No, no. Horrifying. No, it's really bad. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, so they they go back home. A patrol officer spots a man peering into the restaurant. So he stops. What's going on? You know, what are you looking at? And this is um, Officer Conley. And he finds out it's Guadalupe Maldonado's brother. Okay. Pedro. Pedro 
also works at a restaurant. He works at a pizza place and he had got home late, but Guadalupe's wife was still awake and he was, she was up and she was frantic and, you know, Guadalupe yeah. wasn't home yet. He always make, tries to make it home to get, you know, say goodnight to the boys. So the police officer completely dismisses him and tells him that he probably went out for a drink and sandwiches. Because he knows him so well. I'm like, a drink really? and sandwiches? And then Pedro's like, my brother doesn't drink. Yeah. Like, he's like, he's always home to tuck his kids in at night. This isn't right. And he's trying. Well, then Pedro starts to get upset because his brother's not here legally. Uh, so he's yes. wondering. So there's another. Another facet. level of concern right. where he walked. He didn't even have a car. So he's wondering if he got picked up, like if yeah. something happened. Yeah. So he's yeah. really, really, I can't imagine what life was like without cell phones and tracking. Like what these people are Absolutely. going through is. It's no, I mean, I, I don't want to get off track here, but I still remember when my parents let uh, a, a friend of mine and I go to Indiana beach. It's kind of a, a, little, a little bit of a drive for us. We were in high school. We took her convertible. We were gone. We didn't call. I mean, we were running late. My parents couldn't find, didn't know where we were. Her parents didn't know where we were. And my dad was out driving, just trying, just driving, didn't know where to drive. Was just dri- up and down the highway trying to see if like maybe we were on the side of the road, oh calling the gosh. hospitals. My mom was on the porch throwing up. Oh, yeah. They thought like yeah. I was a goner. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, I just and pulled then in a little late. happy. Like, hey. Like, hey. Great day. Got a little sunburn. Oh my god, <laughs> real bad. But the, I mean, that's what happened. Nobody can get a hold of anybody. So that's one good thing about this. I feel like there was like a transition too, because there was a point where like they'll come home, and then they're now you know, and then I went yeah. from like yeah, one hour turned into three, turned into yeah. what's going on, and then like you said, all the cars in the parking lot. That's just yes, that's a huge red flag. So Michael's parents call the police after he didn't arrive home and they were told that he needs to be missing for 24 hours. Now he's <sighs> hate that rule. But he's not he's a minor. So that would be different today. Yeah, yeah. He's a minor. But back then, yeah, back then it didn't it's still I mean I guess I mean he was only 16. That still seems weird to me for a 16-year-old, but the police are like, "Oh, I'm sure he went out with friends." Like everyone just completely disregarded him, and then they were like, "Well, what can you do to help us? We're worried, you know." Yeah. Like, oh, we'll keep an eye on him when we're cruising. If we see him, you know. Yeah, and and I try to put myself in their position as well. They probably weren't expecting something like this to have happened. They, this wasn't the first their first thought. Well, I bet you this is yeah. What, but isn't you know, that weird when you're yeah. when someone's looking in a restaurant and. The person who's supposed to be working there hasn't come out and it's dark and all the employees' cars are in the parking yeah. lot. Yeah. I mean, you would think that that would be grounds for let's get in here and find out what's going on. Yeah. I you would think. I agree. Meanwhile, they said that the phone was ringing off the hook. Oh, you could hear it from outside the restaurant? Because everyone kept on calling. Everyone was looking so you could for just their hear loved the phone ones. Going. Yeah, the phone was ringing. No one was answering the phone. I mean, how eerie had that had to yeah. be just to hear this phone I'm ringing, trying to ringing, myself. ringing. I'm trying to put myself there, and that's, yeah. No, I know. So at 1.30, Officer Bonneville, he met um, Castro, Michael's dad, at Brown's Chicken. Okay. He was there before Castro, and he said he had walked around the building. He checked the doors. Everything was locked. No big deal. You and what time to go was home. this? This is like 1.30 in the morning. Okay. It closed at nine. Yeah. All the cars are there. Yeah. Okay. But what he didn't know is that the other police officer had already seen the other guy, Guadalupe's brother, there. Like, they didn't know what was going on. So the two officers hadn't communicated. Hadn't, they didn't know. But he just tells, you know, Castro again, I'm sure he went out with friends. He's probably home by now. He's probably at home while you're here. You should, you should go home. Castro goes home. Michael's still not there. So Michael's parents call the police again. Like, they're relentless. Thank God. Well, yeah. So the patrol officer that originally was there in Sao Pedro, Guadalupe's brother, ends up being the one that responds to Castro's call. So he's telling, I know it's a lot of people. This is the first officer, right? Mm -hmm. So he's saying, 
He gets there and he tells him, he's like, my son, Michael, works at Brown's Chicken. He still hasn't been home. This is like 2 a.m. now. Yeah. And then he's like, Brown's Chicken? Really? Like, mm. a light bulb moment. So he, originally he was like, you know what? We'll keep a look at him. Stay here. And then he thought about it. And he was like, you know what? Let's go. Let's go check it out. Let's go. So they went together. His parents followed Conley back to um, Brown's Chicken. And they start walking around the building together. And then they finally, and this is another thing, the doors open. Oh. So did, did the first follow? police officer, did he actually check the door? Oh, it doesn't sound like it, no. No, well, no, of course not. He just said he did. But, okay, well, how, how about the scene of the crime? When you walk in the door, can you see anything right yes. away? Okay, then no, he didn't check it. Hmm. So they open the door and immediately Castro sees Michael's coat. But the police officer sees an arm on the ground and he can see a puddle of blood. Please tell so me he didn't let them he in. He did not let him okay. go in. No, he just said, you know what? I think I see something like he spotted. You need to wait out here. A bloody mop, an arm, like a door ajar. So he was like, you know what? You wait here. We don't know what's going on. And then he called for backup before he even. Before he entered. He entered. Because, I mean. You I, don't know, You don't right? know what you're yeah, going you you're going into. So he enters with, you know, obviously guns drawn with an additional officer. And they discovered that it was lynn's arm that was blocking the freezer from closing can you imagine that wait time as you're waiting for backup and you're just standing in the parking lot with this kid's parents like Mm -hmm. you know what just uh hang tight well i i always wonder about those situations because i'd be like why don't you go sit in the car because i don't know what's inside i mean is a gunman gonna come like bursting through the back door i don't know what we're up against yeah you need to they're probably getting frantic as the, every second that goes by that they're not in there. They know he saw something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So they go in there and they find... I have my map. Where's my map? All right. I got so the map. You got the map. Okay. So there's Lynn, Guadalupe, Michael, Rico, and Marcus. They're in the freezer. Okay. Do you see where the freezer is? They find Richard and Thomas on the other side of the restaurant in the cooler. Do you see the difference? Okay, I see the freezer and I see the cooler. They're like okay. on opposite Because the freezer walls. the freezer's near the employee entrance. Okay. Is this where they walked in? That's no. where they walked in. Right here? Yeah. Okay. So the freezer door was held ajar by Lynn's arm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So they walk in, they secure the scene, and they said it's, for lack of better terms, like a bloodbath. There's blood everywhere. So they go back outside. An officer takes grocery bags and covers his his shoes, his shoes. so he can go in there without leaving footprints. Mm-hmm. Um. He goes, they said it's like the, the one of the worst things they'd ever seen. That it was just, and they had um, tried to use mops to clean up the blood. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the. Yeah. No, the, 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 the murders. Yeah. The yeah, murders, yeah. yeah. Um, but he, the grocery bags filled up with blood. Like it didn't, it didn't work. And. Oh my God. I that know. is a lot of blood. Yeah. Wow. And he ended up having, he ended up taking off the grocery bags and then he ended up throwing the shoes away. Oh, no. That's really bad because there was so many footprints in there. They needed to, they needed to be able to, they didn't realize until later, you shouldn't have thrown the shoes away, you know, but whatever. So they don't even tell Michael's family at that time, what's going on? They send them to the police station. Okay. And there they learn of their son's death. Why would they do that? Why would they send them to the police station? Yeah. Uh, maybe it was just simply, my first thought is just so they don't, like, come running into their son's body and contaminate the scene further. Yeah. I would probably do that. I'd be like, get out of my way. I'm going to yeah. go to my Maybe child. they didn't want to see them to see all the bodies coming out. I mean, I all of know. that. 
I yeah. think I think there's several things. I think that's my first well, thought. But and the then the other second, thing, yeah, all the bodies coming out. I so mean, one of the owner's daughters, uh, she came. She's she was home from college because mm-hmm. it was Christmas break. She got home. She was out with her friends around three thirty, and her parents weren't there. So she mm-hmm. was one of the people calling around chicken when there was no answer. She's like, right. "Where could they be at three well, thirty in the morning?" Right, that's where they were. They were either at home or they were at their second home. Right. So she takes her grandmother oh oh god with her and they go to brown's chicken mm. like well and the other thing that i'm i'm picturing too what you're telling me is these officers are probably coming in and out processing and they're covered in blood oh yeah i'm sure so that's the other thing that these people are seeing mm-hmm. so they go you know to brown's chicken where they discover the scene they tell her she's so like distraught that she calls her boyfriend and her boyfriend actually dad calls her sisters to tell mm-hmm. them to tell what's them. going on because she just couldn't even i can't even imagine so now there's now there's this crime scene right and mm-hmm. i mean palatine it wasn't i mean it's a suburb it's kind of closer to the city Something like this. But this isn't normal. No. They've, they've never seen anything like this before. But they had an incredible turnout. They had 90 investigators show up to help. Like, wow. that's one hell of a team. They were going to get this right away. Uh, it's almost too many, though, right? I don't know. I mean, and I they had 2,300. Maybe but... they had 2,300 tips they were trying to, to handle. I guess how many people were processing the scene, though, is what I was thinking. Like, how many people do you have in and out of there? And yeah, are you I'm not sure that it? night. You know what I mean? Well, guess how many fingerprints they pulled. Uh, I'm going to say 70? 200. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. That's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know exactly how many were on the crime scene, but there was 90 investigators working on... The actual case. So they're that night they're in there and they're trying to put the scene together. They notice that all the trash cans are empty with clean bags except for one. Okay. One has food in it. Then they notice that the registers were zeroed out at nine o'clock, but at nine oh eight there was a sale. Ah, okay. And that was for a four piece chicken meal. And that is also what was in the garbage okay. like what was on the receipt for the chicken meal matched what was in the garbage okay so at this point they're thinking they closed but they must have known this person because they right because they sold them food mm-hmm. right there was a reason why yeah. they were willing Somebody to make that let them in. yeah um and they think then they were thinking if it was someone one of the people working there that night they all emptied the garbage they're not gonna put right another they're not going to put more trash in there. So they're thinking that this probably has something yeah, to do absolutely. with it. Yeah. This is probably the person that they let in, right? They assume that they let, like, this person in, and then the employees probably continued to clean and do their closing duties. Like, it was someone who was comfortable enough to let them eat there mm-hmm. while they did yeah. their business. Yeah, and I'm sure that happened a lot. I mean, I worked in several restaurants. We did that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Come on in. Yeah. Or if I was, like, closing and I was going out with a friend they that worked there that yeah. was off that night, they'd yeah. come in, grab food while I was finishing up, and, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Was, there probably wouldn't have even been a sale. Sorry. I would have been like, here's a shake, grab a mop. <laughs> you know? This is very true. <laughs> very true. <laughs> I mean, sorry. They, um, well, because, I mean, at the end of the night, a lot of times you had leftover stuff you anyways. Did. If you had to, like, clean out the, the shake garbage. machine, you have, you have to, like, let it run until it's right. empty. I mean, there's all that kind of stuff. Right. So... They decide that they're going to um, collect the garbage for latent fingerprints. They later on find out that the napkin contained one print, one latent print. Okay. So after they put, like, the solution and stuff on it, like, the fancy way of getting prints, not just uh, leave it in blood print. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. They yeah. actually have to process it for prints. And then they save the chicken for future DNA, which I thought was really, really smart. It's a good thing that some of the things were done right. I know you said some things were 
you know, like the throwing away of the shoes. And I'm sure there were a few other things, but at least they saved that. They did. And they thought like the biggest thing was that this chicken, they didn't have any utensils. Mm -hmm. So he ate it with his hands and his his mouth. Yeah. So lots of DNA. Lots of DNA. This is what the police think happened. This is their speculation. They suspect that two or more people entered the employee entrance. They don't think one person could have done this. They put four employees into the freezer and they take Lynn to open the safe. Okay. I see where the safe is. There's, there was two safes, a top safe and a bottom safe. They got the top safe open, not the bottom safe. They think that Lynn was probably freaking out. Things weren't going well. And that's why they sliced her throat before she could even. Because they only got one safe. Mm-hmm. And there were, I guess there was more money in the bottom safe. So they slice her throat and they drag her back into the freezer. Oh, God. They believe that Richard and Thomas were in the cooler. And you can see where that is. On the other side of the. And for a period of time, didn't even know what was, what going, was going on. Because they were in there doing inventory. Well, you could see that. And they didn't shoot her. They didn't right. hear a gunshot. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. At some point... Richard and Thomas must have known they were getting robbed because their valuables were placed in a box. Mm. So they took their credit card, wallet, watch, all that was like placed in a box. They didn't have it on them. So at at some point, whether it be you stay here, we're going to go to the safe and they took their stuff off then and hit it or, you know, they heard it and they hit it. Um, it does appear that Marcus and Michael who were in the freezer tried to fight back. There was, more injuries than just the gun, the gunshots. They were stabbed and Marcus had also been hit on the head. Okay. So they, then I think in, in that respect, you would definitely have to say that there couldn't have just been one person. Right. Right? Yeah, I agree. Well, and how do you, right. You stay here. I'm going to go do this. You can't control that many people. Gunpoint. I mean, even if you have a gun, right. They get a couple of people that are coming to try to help. I mean, in all reality, they would have probably been successful if it had just been one person, you would think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It does appear that at one at some point they all knew what was happening and it was inevitable because they were down on their hands and their knees <sighs> and they had their hands over their heads. So Like, don't shoot me. Yeah, <sighs> like they were protecting themselves. So they drag Lynn back into the freezer and then there's 12 shots that were um, shot downward trajectory. The victims were on their knees, covering their heads. Then they go and they shoot five into the cooler. But they're not sure who was shot first, but they know it's not at the same time because the shells are all shot from the same gun. Okay. Now, they go and they clean their bloody footprints with a mop. And then they cut the power. Okay. Which I thought was actually very smart. Mm-hmm. Because if they left the lights on, people, then they would have been, people could see inside. Yeah, yeah. And they would think that there's still people in there. So the clock, when they cut the power, read 9.52. So it was only 44 minutes from the sale. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So yeah. the only thing that I would say if I was one of those police officers that let me sleep, that I would be able to sleep that night because I didn't take those parents seriously, is that no one could have stopped it because they didn't start looking until 11. Well, I started thinking about that when you were going through the timeline. I kept thinking, like, I need to remember this timeline with the how it, when it started and when the first call was because I want to know. If that first so officer it might not have could have been able to save them, but they might have got a jump start on, uh, right? Yeah, on the actual investigation and the perps themselves. Correct. So, like I said, they believe robbery was the motivation, but with the weapons and that much ammo, they knew what could possibly have happened. Like the person who went in there with enough ammo to kill seven people, right? knew that the robbery could probably go wrong. Mm-hmm. And whether it's premeditated murder or murder in a robbery in Illinois, I guess it's not looked at any differently. At this time, if convicted, it's the death penalty. Okay. Yeah. But 
that's not the case anymore because we know mm-hmm. in 2011, we no longer have the death penalty here in Illinois. Right. So now they get these 2,300 tips. They have so many names and so many people, and they're doing all of these interviews, and they put up an a thousand dollar reward, or a thousand, a hundred thousand dollar reward for any any information. Any information. They have a billboard up. They get the, they get a tip that this guy Martin. I'm only going to say his first name, and I feel bad even bringing him up, but I I feel like it's important. He had been fired a week prior. Okay. From so, Brown's I chicken. mean, of course, you got to look at So, they at... actually, he came in that Friday night to pick up his check. So, like, when Rico was coming in to pick up his check, everyone was going, remember when you used to go pick up your check? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Flashback. That's crazy. So, they were all stopping in to pick up their checks, and he had just been fired a week before, so everyone said he was kind of salty. He didn't stick around, right? He just came in, got well, his gotta check. You got to look at those he... disgruntled employees, just in case. So, they got a tip, the police did, that. He had been at a party the night before, and he had left right around 9 o'clock. Okay. They decide that they are going to go guns a-blazing, and they arrest him at gunpoint from that tip only. Wow. Yep. They release his name nationally as a suspect, and they hold him (gasps) for two days. With nothing. They released it nationally? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Martin no longer lives in Illinois because of this case. It, he like, probably lives in him. Hawaii. And he actually sued them for a false arrest. Because I knew that you were going to say he sued them. So. Yeah. He was cleared, like, right away. He was known. Wow. They fingerprint all former employees. Anybody who could be a suspect, anyone who can't be disgruntled with anybody, they, you know, they're doing all these things and there's no match off the fingerprint, off the napkin. Mm. They can't find anyone. So it's starting to go cold really fast. Okay. A year later, it's still active, but there's only 10 police officers left on the case, Mm -hmm. which still sounds like a shit ton of police officers a year later. It really does. Because things don't stay hot that long. No. In 1995, um, they take the chicken to the Chicago Field Museum. Ooh. And again in 1998. They do it twice. And they have saliva discovered. There's a major and a minor DNA pull, I guess you would call it. So the major, they believe, is the DNA of the killer. The minor... Here's where the problem comes in. Because this is when DNA just started getting big. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't real protocols. So they did not have gloves or mask. Which, gloves, how do you touch chicken? I don't know. This being examined for DNA without gloves. But anyways, I guess it was the DNA test was done on a non-sterile table without gloves or masks. So they're saying the minor DNA could be of the handler himself. But they still field museum. Come on! I I thought it was going to be a really cool scientific. Well, it probably was, but we just didn't know enough then. We just didn't know enough then. So, but they still got DNA of someone. Okay. Well, that's a start. That's a start. So, there's also in 1998. There's this confession, which is crazy. I okay. just have to tell you, I'm not going to go into it because it could be a whole nother podcast. Oh, God. But this guy basically confessed to being in the restaurant with his friend who committed the crime while he was in the bathroom. Oh, okay. They interview him like 10 times. They get 10 different versions of the story. I guess from what I understand, when you have these false confessions, you have to get a confession and a corroboration, right? The evidence has to... Corroborate. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't so they, just... you know, I'm sure it has to be so hard when you get a confession like that, not to, well, not to it... pull what they did to Martin, right? Well, like right. we're going in. But you also usually withhold enough of the details that if the person mm-hmm. who's confessing can't tell you those intimate details that the public doesn't know, yeah. Then but he's confessing for his friend. He was yeah. in the bathroom while yeah. his friend did it. I know, but you know what I mean. I do. Yeah. So. Anyways, that was 
discredited and we shall move on. <laughs> okay. I just, I, the time and money, I feel like these people should be punished. I for... do too. The false confessions, the, it baffles me the amount of false confessions that, that are actually out there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. people just want to be involved somehow. It's, it's insane. It's weird. So the turning point comes in 2002 when two women give up two men who confess to the murders, but then claim innocent. Mm, Okay. So I'm going to give you the key players in this because there's so many people in and out of this story. I'm so sorry. But it's Juan Luna, James Degorski, Eileen Bacala, and Anne Lockett. Okay. Okay. So Anne Lockett receives a phone call while she's in the hospital from James Degorski. And this is her ex. Okay. Okay. Who tells her to turn on the news. So she's in the hospital for some sort of psychiatric evaluation. She's at like on an inpatient program. And on the news, what does she see? The Browns chicken. The Browns chicken. Yes. When she gets out of the hospital, she goes to James's house. Juan Luna was there. And they're talking about everything. And they said they just wanted to ice someone. Oh, God. Really? I know. Okay. Dumb. How old are you, Juan? So are these, like, gangbangers or just wannabe thugs? or <sighs> Probably just wannabe. I, they don't. I, dumb. So they tell, her, they tell her how they wanted to ice someone and that they knew Brown's chicken well. He's, she says, this is what they told her, they went in, they ordered food, and then they put gloves on before committing the murders. So they think they're safe. And the police, I mean, the police already printed Juan. Right, right. And he got away with it. So, but Anne decides, they tell that she tells the police all this. So the police contact Juan, and he consents to DNA. He's like, sure, you can take my DNA. Cause he's like, they already took my prints. Like, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Um, right. Something's gonna happen to me. So he consents to DNA. He denies any involvement. Three weeks later, they get prints and DNA from James as well. And Juan's DNA comes back as a match. Oh my god. He wow. ate the chicken. It was Juan. But it, but they, they didn't get a hit before. They didn't have his DNA. They only but they, had a they fingerprint. they just had that print. Okay. They didn't have any DNA to run. Right. I guess I was just I was you, hoping he, the print would be enough, but no. No. So isn't that crazy? But it turns out as well, James is a total loudmouth. And he told another woman about the crime, Eileen Bacala, who she was ready to talk to when contacted by the police. She was... Like, yeah, I'll tell you everything they told me. She actually, and the re- one of the reasons she's ready to talk is because Eileen Bacala was there for her interview with Juan Luna, who worked at Brown's Chicken. Okay. And James Degorski. They were, she was their alibi. Okay. And he used to work there. He used to work there, yeah. Okay. So he had quit. I think they said, I mean, after only being there like a month or two, but it wasn't any bad terms. He had gone to work at like Menards or something. I don't know. Okay. It wasn't anything, anything crazy. Well, I can't imagine it would have been or they probably wouldn't have let him in. Yeah. So, like I said, Eileen McCalla back in 1995, she was interviewed and she was their alibi. They showed up to be interviewed together. They weren't interviewed together, but they all came, they all arrived together, okay. which I think is kind of yeah. fishy. So she says on the night of the murder, she gets a call from James telling her to meet Juan and James at the Jewel in Carpentersville. Now, I lived across the street from the Jewel. Ah, so this is where it comes in. in. So okay. they met in the parking lot like that we used to hang out in and run across all the time. Uh, so she gets off work at 9 30 and she heads there to meet up she notices there's rubber gloves in the back of Juan's car they leave Juan's car there and Eileen drives them to her house where she asks them about this bag that they have right they're carrying around a bag Mm -hmm. they tell her that they just robbed Brown's chicken 
So Juan and James divide up the money at Eileen's house and James pays her the $50 he owes her, which she uses later to go to Spring Hill Mall to buy a purse. Oh, Spring Hill Mall. Right? Know it well. (laughs) So hours later, they drive Juan back to his car and then James and Eileen, she's got to drop James off and they drive past the Browns Chicken and there's ambulances and it's this huge crime scene. There's fire trucks, there's all these things. And Eileen, like, that was, like, the light bulb moment for her that it wasn't just a robbery. Yeah. It never occurred to her that there was fatalities, that there was... And she just, at this moment, decides she's... Well, and she's... But she I mean, tell she, anyone. She doesn't tell anybody. She sits on this. This is in 1992. She's interviewed in 95, and they're their alibi. So did she say why? 1993, I'm sorry. Um, she was just scared of him, I guess. But she said that at that time, at that time, James told Eileen that Juan just went berserk and shot the, shot the five in the freezer and cut Lynn's throat. But James is the one. He's the one who shot the two in the cooler. That's what he told her at the time. But she never came forward. But I just feel like this is the circle, right? If you're talking, if you're hanging out with people that are going to ice somebody... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm not surprised that she just didn't say anything and went about her business. And I, I mean, she doesn't seem like me. the type of person to just come, you know, go to the police. I don't know. I Well, and to... then there's that, right? So that all comes in on the trial because now we have to remember they have DNA, okay? Mm-hmm. And they have the handprint. Okay. Did I tell you that part already? So the handprint, not a fingerprint. Okay, so maybe I didn't tell you that part. So that was the problem. I'm probably getting ahead of myself. So when they went back in, so they got DNA, right, from both James and Juan. Mm -hmm. It comes back as a hit for Juan, but not James. Okay. So, like, Juan is like a dead ringer, right? We got you at the scene of the crime. James, it's just hearsay. Mm -hmm. Someone just said he's there. Okay. But they rerun the napkin, and it turns out it's Juan's palm print. Got, okay, gotcha. So that's what I was wondering. I'm like, they ran his prints, but it was It didn't match. So it was why. a palm print, not a fingerprint. Ah, so, yes, that comes back. But now you have to remember, they still don't have anything on James, except for the fact that other people said he was there. It's mm-hmm. just witness testimony. They don't have any DNA or anything on right. him. They, they have to be able to put him at the scene of the crime. So they find James in Indiana, and he he gives consent to travel back to Illinois on May 16th around 3 o'clock. He claims that they told him that they had a arrest warrant, which they didn't. Okay. Wah, 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 James. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel bad for you at this moment. I don't care. Just because of everything else. I, I mean, we shouldn't lie, but you might be a liar too, James. It's karma. Yeah. So he's Mirandized. He confesses immediately when confronted. He tells everything. He tells police that he brought the gun. They ordered the food. Juan ate it. They put on the gloves, announced a robbery. The person mopping offered money, which was a Lynn. They put them all in the back. James shot the two in the cooler. Juan punched and cut Lynn's throat and shot everyone in the freezer. They mopped and dumped the gun in the Fox River, which was never recovered. He admitted to telling the two women about the murders. I mean, it was all there. Wow. Okay. He says it all. But they don't have any of this, like, on tape, from what I understand. So by 7 a.m., so it's 3 o'clock when he gets arrested. They bring him back. They do all of these things. By 7 a.m., they ask him to give a statement, but he says he's tired. So they let him sleep until 4 p.m. He gives his statement, okay? The next day. But his statement is just the officer rereading his statements. Oh, and him going, yep, uh-huh, yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. That doesn't hold up very no, well. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> well, and I know that we both, we both didn't really care how he got there, but 
some of that stuff could be inadmissible in court if it's not done legally. I mean, we joke about it a little bit, but you really yeah. can't. Like, I mean, you can. I you, can laugh about it if you're caught. Yeah, but not if you're not. You, if you missign something, even or you write, I mean, something that has nothing to do with the confession, but the officer that took it like didn't sign page forty-seven or whatever, it could be thrown out. Yeah. So I mean, they have the, him agreeing with his statements, but it's probably not the way that we want it. Mm-hmm. He's charged with twenty-one counts of first-degree murder, and but he's later uh, treated for a broken jaw. That he received from a deputy. That didn't look good either. No. Mm-mm. So Juan is picked up the same day. But he wasn't taken to his local station. So I believe he was taken to Hoffman Estates. Okay. And the police said they did that because there was rumors going around by it. And they didn't want press coverage. They wanted to take him somewhere private. Okay. Well, I mean, that's probably fine as long as it's a police station. And right, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. So he claims too that there was a there was forms of physical assault. He didn't have any signs, not like James with his broken jaw, but he confessed. He was verbally Mirandized, and his confession was mostly the same. He claimed that he lost it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and of course, he was originally dismissed because his prints didn't match. So isn't that crazy? Like it was, they could have had this. How long ago it was his palm. The one thing that they, the one thing they got one on as well is that during his confession, he talks about one of the victims vomiting French fries, which was true. And that's one of those things that, right. That that was never released. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, they did get them on premeditated mass murder. Well, yeah, like you said, they brought in enough ammo to. I guess because it also comes to a thirty-eight. The gun was a thirty-eight, and it holds six bullets. And the fact that it had to be reloaded <sighs> is an issue. You had to had to take the time, yeah. and you had to bring that. They they said they had pockets of bullets. Is what they well, like the massacre that you described and the amount of. No, they weren't shying away from anything. They knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. And they carried it out, and they, and they, they even had a remorse. knife. Poor Lynn. Yeah, and I guess the whole like punching thing too. Uh, no one had said that. They had only said that her. Okay, so that was something that wasn't just throat as well. was yeah. cut, and he admitted to punching her. And so the jury deliberated for six hours, and they found Juan guilty of seven charges of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life without parole. Good. His was a little bit more forward, right? There was mm-hmm. Prince. There yeah. was... So it took two years after Juan's for James to be tried because <sighs> they had no DNA. It was mostly a witness case. But they found the guy... Who sold James the gun? Ooh, good. Okay. Who he said he was like, yeah, I I stole that gun and I still I sold it to James. Oh. I'm like, oh, but you're right. This is the circle. Neck, I can't laugh. This is the circle. But I'm people. like, what did you do to him that he came? He was like a stand up enough guy that he steals guns, but right. he's willing. To but come, he's willing to come, come forward, forward and say, say, yeah, I stole that gun and sold it to him. Because they never found the gun. The gun is still somewhere in the Fox River. I wonder how many guns are in that Fox River. Right? Mm-hmm. The thing, though, he, the paramedic that took care of him when his jaw was broken from the deputy, he was super, James is a narcissist, so he was bragging to the paramedic mm-hmm. that he did the killing and that he did it just for fun. Yeah. And that he was sober because I guess they were like, were you on drugs? Why would you do something like that? And he's like, no, I was sober. I did it just for fun. So he, too, was found guilty of charges of seven counts of first degree murder. Uh, Did you say the other guy was 21 counts? They, yes. Well, that's what they tried for, but that's not what he was. Mm. That's not what he was convicted of. So he And was, then this guy, seven, they got him on. No, no. they were... James, they wanted to charge him. So he was charged with the 21 counts, but he wasn't convicted of all of them. He was only convicted of seven. Okay. 
that makes sense. It does. So now what? Sorry. No, that's okay. So they're both um, in Statesville. Okay. And still currently filing appeals. James is just filing his heart away. All but does kinds he get of... parole or no? No. Neither okay. one of them get. They're okay. both. They life, both got life, life without, without parole. parole. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I only heard you say Juan had life without parole. I wasn't sure. Yes. What he... They both okay. got life without okay. parole. But James okay. is fighting you know, tooth James, and nail on down. everything. Shut up. And he's saying that the only reason, you know, the ladies confessed is because they wanted the reward money. And maybe they did, but maybe you shouldn't be yapping your mouth. You told them about it. Just you shouldn't have done it in the first place. That too. What a that too. So he sued the state though for his injury for his broken jaw. Did he win? He did. He was awarded four hundred and fifty-one thousand dollars. But the state has the right to the money first because they're caring for him. I think I'm gonna like this. And then the victims' families. So he doesn't get a dollar of it anyways. The deputy was uh, let go, but he wasn't charged with anything because he claimed self-defense, so. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying that's right. No, I don't know how it went down. I'm not on that side, so. I mean, I've dealt with lots of cocky people that are guilty Mm -hmm. of terrible things, and I know it's hard to control. It's probably really hard not to just smack Mm -hmm. somebody in the face. Oh, I'm sure. I'm all the stuff that we see. You know how it is. Oh, I do. So... The sad thing is, is that, and you know, I mean, we think about like the victim's families, we think about all these things, but Brown's Chicken itself actually suffered from this. Sales at restaurants dropped 35% after this incident happened. And eventually the company had to close over a hundred restaurants in the Chicago area. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I think it just gave you a bad vibe, right? Yeah, he just, people didn't want to think about that when they went in. No, no. So the building itself was knocked down. So first they tried to make it into um, a dry cleaners, I guess a deli. And then it was vacant for a while. And then they finally just bulldozed it. And now there's a Chase Bank there. Brand new building. The Bad Juju building's gone. I have some crazy, crazy facts, though, that I have to tell you. Okay. Of course these you do, are... but I can't wait. <laughs> okay. But these are the weird connections. I found these in one of the newspaper art- okay. articles. So, Guadalupe Maldonado, okay, he was the Hispanic man. Yes. Remember? Yes. So, his... Three kids, right? Three kids. His son en- ended up attending um, from high school with Brenda Luna. Juan Luna's younger sister. Oh, wow. Do you get that connection? Yeah. That's insane. Right? Yeah. I have more. So the Maldonado family moves in with Guadalupe's brother, Pedro. Okay. And his family in 1992. Just a few months before that, Juan Luna lived in the same apartment complex one building over wow all these crazy coincidences isn't that i mean like it's all just i don't know it's weird um so martin blake remember oh i said his last name i wasn't gonna do it so the guy who got arrested um Degorski, the guy who got charged yeah, and luna yeah. the guy who got charged all attended from high school hmm. so the person who was First accused and the two people that were charged all attended the same high school. Where was this high school? You don't know from? Well, I've heard of friends, but where's it located? I think it's near Palestine. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Steve had a bunch of friends that went there too. I've heard it in that area. I've heard a lot of people, oh, I went to friends. But I I grew up in Indiana, so I don't know where any of this, I don't know where any of these high schools are. Right. And then that's also so. Um, Michael Castro's sister, the one he passed away, his sister dated uh, Blake, Martin Blake, the guy who was accused for a few wow. years. And they all three of them worked at Pal- worked at the Brown's Chicken. How how big is Palatine? I just read, I think they're at like 50,000. But at that time, I think they were at like seven. 
Okay. Small. I mean, right? It's a small, it's, it shows you how small of a town is with all these connections and, and people being so close in proximity. That's crazy. Yeah. But I think like the whole thing, I don't know. Could you imagine going to school? Mm-mm. Knowing that your brother was no. the killer of another person's dad? You, I don't know. Anyways, that's my story. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... There was a lot of people involved in that one. So if you're confused, I apologize. You can check my sources. <laughs> <laughs> no, They'll actually, be I remembered when you were telling me these people, I remembered, you know, Guadalupe Maldonado had three children and... That makes me happy that you can remember who they I are. I did. I remembered them. That's just... And I'm glad we got to talk about them and hopefully more people will remember them because yeah. all I, of I know there's people... a couple that I didn't talk about as much because their parents weren't, you know, looking for them, but... But it sounds to me that all of these people that were working that night were really good, hardworking, stand-up people that were just, it's so and they sad. Were they were just trying really, to. Really, really loved and hard, yes, hard workers. And so. It just makes me sad. If there's any updates, I know that they were, I mean, they were filing their appeals and everything was pushed back and postponed because of COVID. So hopefully it stays that way for a while because. Like I said, James didn't, he was trying to get, um, the one lady and her statements thrown out because she was, she was having a psyche bell. She was like in an inpatient program. So he was trying to say that she. Oh, I'm sure he's going to try to find every loophole that he can. Wasn't. You know how we feel. He should just stay there. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right. But I'll update you if I hear anything about him and his douchey self. Please do. Yeah, no, sounds like it. Ugh, gross. All of these narcissistic assholes that we run across in our stories. I just. I know. I know. But I would say I hope you have an upbeat story for me next week. <laughs> but we all know uh, that's probably not going to Probably happen. not. No, I'll try to. I'll try to do what I can. But yeah. yeah. I'm excited for my next story. We're kind of going off the rails here, guys. We, we both have different stories. We're going to cover that don't have any type of topic for the month we're no, just doing just, our own thing it was like free choice <laughs> free choice week free choice oh God, every time i laugh my neck's like you <laughs> <laughs> poor thing we need to get off here so jen can like heat her neck and take her <laughs> back pills and, <laughs> and we can tuck her in it's about eight forty-five, so <laughs> time for at bed. nine o'clock i turn into a pumpkin <laughs> god we're old All right. Well, hopefully you guys out there are having a great week. I can't believe it's November already. And uh, we'll we'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.